Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Before we get started today, nonprofits and grant writers often ask me where they can find grants. So I tell them about Instrumental. Instrumental makes my grant searching process go so much faster. It has so many features and data right there, and they'll even walk you through setting it up to help you get the most out of the system. Instrumental brings all your grant prospecting, tracking, and ongoing management under one roof. In fact, I partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental, that's instrument with an L, and use the code GWSPOD to start your free trial. That's TeresaHuff.com slash instrumental. Go give it a try. Hey friends, welcome back. If you are trying to break into grant writing, I want to invite you to join me on the Fast Track to Grant Writer VIP program. This is a mentoring and coaching combination and interactive program. And now is the perfect time to jump in if you're wanting to become a grant writer because I am rolling out some amazing new features this fall to help you gain traction and build your successful grant writing career. You can sign up and start learning today at Teresa lisahuff.com slash VIP. Now lately, we have been doing a series on fundraising. Last week, we talked about lean nonprofit startups. Today, this week's guest is an expert at major gifts. And we're going to get into what that means, how to go about it, and he has some fantastic tips. I'm talking with Kevin Fitzpatrick. He is the founder of the One Visit Away podcast, which happens to be one of the major, the number one major rated gift podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I love the way he incorporates storytelling into so much of his work because it's memorable and relatable. And I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. He is also fantastic to follow on LinkedIn because he's a wealth of knowledge and he makes these situations that might seem intimidating or difficult or you're kind of tongue-tied what do I say he just breaks them down and makes them so practical and he's also like just get out there make the call do the thing and it'll really motivate you to gain momentum with your major gifts for your nonprofit. here we go and I hope you enjoy Kevin welcome it's great to have you on the show today tell us a random fact about yourself Oh man. So it's funny because I was pretty sure when you sent me whatever form, there was something about a random fact and I was thinking about that, but then I went to fill out the form and I didn't see it. And I was like, I guess that's not there anymore. So random, <laughs> oh, yeah. random fact about myself on the fly. Um, 
grew up in new orleans and uh we got katrina'd in uh 2005 so i was like how old was i i don't know 11 or 12 years old our one-story house that i lived in from you know my parents built the house the year i was born in 1992 and uh lived there my whole life parents uh and family have been in new orleans for over 200 years and uh yeah we had five feet of water in our house for like a month and uh rebuilt we moved 17 times including all hotels apartments houses whatevers until wow. we moved back in 13 months later so wow <laughs> that's yeah, kind of little... traumatic <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's funny because yes um i think it was probably traumatic for my parents and uh obviously a lot of people you know really significant like never able to come back from it kind of damage and you know lots of people died but for for me fortunately um you know i was i was a kid we always had you know a roof over our heads and food and it was just kind of an adventure for me mm. and it was you know some of my fondest memories of my childhood are you know going through those 13 months and just being so close as a family and you know staying in you know, I remember there was one hotel in Houston we stayed in. It's a really nice hotel that we would not have normally stayed in, but they opened it up to, you know, there was some kind of special opportunity for people who had evacuated. And I remember we had our, our border collie with us and, you know, he's going up the, the 15 stories into the, uh, into the hotel room and, and then just rebuilding our house, me, my dad, and my brother, just every day out there working on the house and sleeping on cots with no AC and no electricity. And, uh, you know, in the middle of the summer and it was, it was a very, you know, wonderful experience for me, like lots of growth time with the family. Um, so fortunately I, it, you know, it was a great blessing personally. Mm, that's a really cool way to look at it and that you can frame that in a way that you actually enjoyed it and kind of like a long-term camping trip almost. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is crazy because it, you know, it's just shaped so much of my life where it's like, you know, I can see things like burned to the ground figuratively and literally, and to me, it's just like, all right, we're going to rebuild. Like this is, this is just, this is part of the journey. And, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, you know, super grateful for my parents for, you know, providing that sort of environment and just, you know, way of living life, I guess. Mm -hmm. How cool. That was kind of my next question is, mm -hmm. do you feel like that has influenced your work now and come into oh, play yeah. with how you approach problem solving and, interactions and all the pieces of it big time and you know part of it is yeah part of it's problem solving i mean i've always i've always been kind of like prepared for things that's just kind of a a thing i was born with but i think this this you know re you know really focused that in me and just like being ready for stuff's gonna go wrong and you got to be prepared but then also i saw so many so many opportunities of people going out of their way to be generous. So it's like, you know, just the number of people who offered their home to us. I mean, there was one person in particular, I think we lived in there in their house for like 
three months, three or four months one time. It was like a second property of theirs, but they were like, Hey, y'all can have it. Um, and you know, other times people just hear we're from new Orleans and pay for gas at the gas station or all kinds of stuff like that. So just seeing, seeing the generosity in people and wanting, you know, people wanting to help those that are hurting in some way has definitely encouraged me to, to want to work in philanthropy and helping people become more generous, but then also helping gift officers give people opportunities to be more generous. Mm-hmm. That's a great example of looking for the good. I mean, that's a terrible situation, a lot of upheaval, I'm sure, and a lot of stress on your family, yet you're pointing out the generosity, the fun, the enjoyment, the way you can reframe and look at those challenges as, hey, we get to rebuild our house. We get to do this together. We get to camp out. This is cool. You know, instead of the getting down and discouraged, you're looking and reframing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. And, you know, part of that's just, it's interesting because I don't know how much of it is that's just how I am versus the experiences I had as a child, you know, turned me into that sort of thing. So I'm not exactly sure, but it's, uh, it's been fun to, uh, you know, live life with some of those, some of those things in the rear view mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm sure both sides have come into play. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it and to use that to fuel your work now. So how did you first get into nonprofit work? Yeah. So I was, I was a student at the university of Dallas, um, and had no idea what I was going to do when I graduated. And, um, my junior year, I attended an event that a non a local nonprofit was having and, uh, just fell in love with the mission um, and called them up and said, Hey, I'd love to help out in some way. Can I do some kind of volunteer internship? And they were like, sure. So I, I went and, uh, did my volunteer internship and knew I wanted to work at that organization when I graduated. And yeah, one thing led to another, they hired me full time the day after I graduated. And, uh, yeah, I was there for a little over seven years and, uh, it was a blast. So just a small faith-based organization and, uh, yeah, it was it was just really neat how everything kind of lined up. You were hooked. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And it seems like a lot of people have a different path into nonprofit work from maybe what they went to school for or what they had thought they would do, but then they end up in it. And it's just the compelling drive to help the mission or the cause or whatever they're working towards. For sure. And that big yeah, picture. I, yeah, I had no idea what I was going to do. And, you know, I had many ideas uh, ranging from, you know, working in lawn care because I did that as a child. I was like, hey, I could probably make some kind of business doing this um, to, I don't know, I was exploring just every opportunity. These big companies would come by uh, the university and, you know, have these kind of career days. And I'm looking at all these opportunities at these fancy places and and you know then and i just felt kind of uncomfortable about the whole thing for whatever reason it just didn't seem just didn't seem right for me and then i just stumbled into this event and i was like this is it um like you know who cares what the what the pay is or whatever like um this is it and i i really feel like i can do this and i can do it well 
and I'm going to be super excited every day to head to the office. And yeah, it wor- worked out beautifully. Mm, awesome. Well, then over time, you really narrowed in on the major gifts piece of that, which is a unique specialty, but so needed in nonprofit yeah, for work. Sure. So tell us a little more about that. And first, let's just start with what do you mean by major gifts? Yeah. So yeah, great question. So yeah, <laughs> still to this day, I would say I probably, if I were to take a test on, uh, you know, nonprofit uh, terminology, I'd probably get like a D plus at best <laughs> or something. Um, but in from my perspective, to me, major gifts refers to the uh, practice of having one-on-one in-person relationships with donors. I don't think there's a number, like, I don't care what the number is. For for somebody, it might be 500 bucks is a major gift for them, for that donor, for your organization. Everything's dependent upon the donor and the organization. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just numbers at the end of the day. So to me, it's much more about what is the approach that is used in this situation. And to me, it's about getting in front of people face-to-face, getting to know them personally, and then you presenting them with opportunities that would be meaningful to them or major or however you want to talk about it. But yeah, I don't think there's any specific dollar amount on it. A lot of organizations, it's, you know, starting somewhere between one and $10,000. When you put it that way, uh, it's a matter of building one-on-one relationships. That doesn't sound so intimidating. When you say major gifts, it's kind of like, ooh, you want me to go and ask for a million dollars or what do I say? Like feeling kind of tongue-tied. Do you hear that or kind of see that with people when you start talking about it? Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. And I hadn't thought about that specific um, way of looking at it. But yeah, people are definitely intimidated big time by major gifts. I like, can see why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I'm just going to give it a whirl. And, uh, you know, I remember someone I was working with, you know, this was someone at the organization I was working with that didn't do fundraising of any sort, but she was interested in getting into major gifts. And, you know, so I had a phone call with her to just kind of talk, talk through some things and, I'll never forget. She said, you know, major gifts just seem so mysterious. And I'm pretty sure you used the exact same word when I listened to your introductory episode of the podcast about (laughs) grant writing. And I was like, I hadn't thought about that either, but I think that's true too. I think grant writing and major gifts are both mysterious for, (laughs) for those not doing them on a daily basis. And I just thought that was a perfect way of putting it. And yeah, it's just like part of it is because so few people talk about, you know, what does it mean to be in relationship with your donors? And that's, that's the whole reason I started my podcast, One Visit Away, is to just have people tell stories of what do these things look like? Because if you can hear it in a story, like, like you know, if you're to tell somebody, uh, yeah, you just need to go, you know, raise major gifts for your organization. That is intimidating. It means nothing. But if you tell people stories of how just normal people like you, me, you know, Bob and Sue, who, you know, like me having, you know, I, my degree was in theology, 
And I grew up in a household that like philanthropy was not a word that I think I ever even heard. And, you know, like if you can just hear normal people tell stories of, you know, and so I, you know, had coffee with this person and I, I got to know him. I asked some good questions. You know, I asked him, you know, hey, what is it about our organization that's caused you to give so generously? Um, and, and then that led them to just sharing about why they're so passionate about this, about an experience they maybe had as a child that has stuck with them their whole life and made this particular cause so important to them. When we can understand that and it all makes sense to us, and them, and then we share with them, you know, th this is what we're trying to do over the next 12 months at our organization. And you can see their eyes light up that like, and they tell you, I want to help. When those things are in place, now it's just so natural to say, you know, Bob and Sue, I'd like you to consider a gift of $10,000 to our organization this year so that we can help, you know, X number of children have warm meals at home every night. Like what could be less intimidating than that? It's like, you're, you're just helping somebody who deeply desires to do something. You're helping them get an opportunity to do it. And if we don't do it, nobody else is because Tesla, Apple, and whoever are marketing to them every single day saying, spend your money here. This is what's going to make you happy. The number of times a human has a conversation with someone that knows them and loves them and asks them to give to something that would matter to them, it basically never happens, which is why, and I'll stop my little soliloquy here, which is why if you go get some visits scheduled with your donors and start doing these things, giving can increase dramatically because basically no one is doing this with them. What an incredible way of looking at it and breaking it down. I see so many parallels to grant writing and to what you're doing and what you're saying. And the way you said that, of, would you consider giving $10,000 to help this many kids for this many months to do this project? That's exactly what we do with grant writing. Yep. You quantify, you break it down, you paint that clear picture and cast that vision of the difference they can make by partnering with you. Yeah. And they're looking yeah. to do good in the community. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's it, you know, and one of the things I'd be curious about, and I know you're going to come on my podcast, so we'll talk more about this, but I would imagine that one of the things that sets up people who are applying for grants for success is that they didn't just, um, you know, sit in a cave and send out, you know, they just outbound information to all these different organizations and waited for the money to roll in. I would imagine the most successful grant writers have, you know, much closer, like two-way relationships with the foundations or whoever it is they're uh, requesting grants from. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. You hit the nail okay. on the head. <laughs> yes. Cool. <laughs> and that's how you get the longer term, more sustainable funding is you build mm -hmm. the relationships. You find the funders that want to make an impact over time and see the program grow. They know it's an investment and they see the impact it's making and it compounds each year when you're working together over time. So absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah so so that's it is at the end of the day you know i love uh i love your uh the name of your podcast grant writing simplified <laughs> it's very uh it's very what's his name why can i never remember his name don it's very don miller-esque uh oh. building a story brand <laughs> yes and uh but I it's just think about that yeah it's just like you know it's not the cutesy name. It's just like, this is what it is. And it's like grant writing simplified. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things, you know, on my website, if you go to onevisitaway.com, the first thing it says is major gifts made simple. And it's, it's the that. same idea is just like, these are intimidating concepts, but they're not intimidating things to actually do. If you have just a little bit of guidance that puts you in front of like, you know, puts you into relationship with other humans. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes you just need a few key pieces to get you started. And then it's about taking action day after day. I say it a lot. Action brings clarity. And it's so true. And I'm sure with yours too, like some days it just comes down to taking that action. I just listened to your episode about make that one more call at the end of the day. And, you know, if you didn't take that action and kind of like, if you don't submit a grant, Mm. the answer is definitely no. But if you submit the grant, if you make the phone call, at least you stand a chance. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, man, this is, I, (laughs) I haven't explicitly said this yet, but I'll say it now. I know like nothing about grants and have almost zero experience. You know, there was probably five organizations that I had some involvement with applying for a grant, but I didn't, I never wrote them. I never, it was just like, if anything, I was the knew the, the executive director or the trustee or whatever it was. And so not my area of expertise at all, but totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> wow. <okay>. What you were, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that does that. (laughs) This happens to me all the time. So remind me the point you were making right before I diverted us. What was my point? Uh, It's similar between the two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Simple. If you you don't ask, the answer is no. That's it. That's it. So yeah. I I would imagine one of the things that happens with a lot of, you know, some of these grant giving organizations have a rule that's like, you have to apply for three years in a row or something like that before you're even considered. I think I've seen something like that before. And even if they don't have a rule that's that specific, I would bet you a lot of people apply for the grant one time um, and they don't get funded and they're just like, okay, well, that's a waste of time. And then they give up on it. Mm-hmm. When I would imagine if you looked at the stats, it's something like, you know, like 50% of, you know, grants only get approved after the X number of times of applying. And so, you know, kind of by by definition, if you're not trying at least this many times, you're really not even giving your a chance, yourself a chance to succeed. Um, and if you only apply once to the per- to the organization giving the money away, it's like, well, they really weren't in this much anyway. So glad we passed on that one. Yeah, making it about the money. And it is helpful to go back and try to get feedback and to say, what could we have done better? 
How could we improve yes. next time? What kind of projects are you looking for to see if it's a good fit, not to twist your mission to make it fit, but to see how can we partner with you in the future if this wasn't a good fit now? And sometimes yeah, yeah. the no has nothing to do with your proposal. It may just be they didn't have as much money to give out this year, or they had some restrictions and had to funnel them a different direction this time. Yeah. So it could be for so many factors that have nothing to do with your organization. And that's where that consistency, identifying the really good fit opportunities mm -hmm. and focusing on those as opposed to just firing off anything left and right. Kind of like if you just walked into a meeting the first time meeting somebody and said, hey, nice to meet you. I heard you're interested. Would you give us $10,000? Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's probably sure. not how you'd go about it. Yeah, <laughs> There's sure. a little more strategic thinking that needs to go into it. And the same way with grants of being able to approach that and look at that as a bigger picture, mm -hmm. as opposed to like you're saying, well, we got rejected. Let's move on. Forget it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So yeah, there's like a thousand things I could, a thousand directions I could go. Um, I know. And I feel like there's so like so many parallels and so much that we could dig into with it. Yeah. 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 I'll give you, I mean, if you want, I can give you just something, a little bit of direction for your listeners. If they're just wanting to know, like, how in the world do I get started with this? Um, oh, yeah, that would be perfect. That's actually what I was about to ask you. Okay, <laughs> sweet. If somebody's thinking, oh, kind of like with grants, this is overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. That's the question yeah. I hear most about grants. And you may hear that a lot too. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, I mean, I would say, look, to make it super simple, if you're just wanting to dip your toes into the water, the first thing I would do is you can make the list longer if you want to, but especially if you're a smaller organization and you're not doing any kind of major gift work, I would just look at who are your top donors. I'd rank them from highest level of giving, you know, down and start with like the top 10 or something and a very manageable number. If you're not visiting with these people, I can basically guarantee you that none of them are giving anywhere close to their capacity. Um, sometimes it happens that someone's just so unbelievably in love with the mission that they're giving you just everything that they can, but it's, I've never, I've almost never seen it. And part of the reason is, is because if you are not visiting with them, especially people who have the more money that people give away, the more likely it is other people are visiting with them. So if you're not meeting with somebody who's giving your organization $25,000 a year, well, there's probably some people who are visiting with them who are asking them for 50, 100,000 or more. And it's a lot easier to say no to the ask that you never made than it is to say no to the $50,000 ask that a real human did make of them. So first thing I say is you got to start visiting with your donors. Um, how do you do that? Real simple. This is the, I've got some webinars I can, you know, y'all can look up later that are free to access if you want to dive deeper in this, but real simple. If somebody's in your database, you know, they've given to you super simple script. Hey, Bob, Kevin with Acme Nonprofit, the reason I'm reaching out to you today specifically is to schedule a visit regarding our organization. How does next Tuesday at 10 a.m. look for you? That is the exact script I have used to schedule over a thousand visits. 
It's super simple. It's very direct. Sometimes people think it's a little aggressive, but it's not. It's actually just uh, you're being very respectful to the donor in telling them exactly what you hope to get out of this interaction. Um, and they're not wondering, like, you know, if you send them something uh, vague, like I used to when I was first getting started, uh, you know, you call somebody up, hey, you know, this is me seven years ago before I knew what I was doing in my best, best attempt. Uh, hey, Bob, uh, it's Kevin with Acme Nonprofit. I'm just uh, calling you to say thank you so much for all your support. Like, really appreciate it. Oh, uh, you're welcome, Kevin. Oh, uh, looks here like your office is kind of by my office. Uh, maybe sometime we could get together for lunch. Um, yeah, that'd yeah, that'd be great if one time we did that. Okay, well, uh, I guess <laughs> I guess we'll see when that happens. Like, just these super awkward like you're trying to you're just beating around the bush like don't don't do that it drives people crazy everyone's confused no one knows what you want um just tell them i'd like to schedule a visit with you regarding our organization tell them that and then suggest a specific date and time because it's a lot easier for someone to just look at that one thing on their calendar and say yeah i can do that or well no i can't do that but i could do i could do an hour earlier than it is to just, hey, what's a good time in the next two weeks? Now I got to look at every single possible minute for a you know two-week period. So I won't go all the way down that rabbit hole, but yeah, just reach out to your donors, tell them you'd like to schedule a visit. And then when you get in front of them, what in the world do you talk about? Just ask good questions. Um, some of them, you know, what is it that's caused you to give so generously to our organization? If you are, you know, whatever type of organization you are, like, let's say you're, you're working in, you know, you know, feeding the hungry, um, you know, you could say something like, you know, where does feeding the hungry fit in your giving priorities? And we're just trying to get, ask questions to get people to start sharing about themselves, about how they think about generosity. And some of these questions will help you determine capacity. Like another one you can ask is, what are your top philanthropic priorities? See what people say to that. Some people will just, some people share more than others. They'll tell you specifics right away. You know, I've asked people that question, you know, what are your top philanthropic priorities? And they've just immediately said, well, you know, we gave a $1.6 million gift to our church that we just finished out. Uh, we're on the board of this organization. We got a $1.5 million gift going on there. And it's like, if I wouldn't have asked that question, I wouldn't have known that. And last thing I'll say here before I, you know, just talk for 30 minutes straight is uh, the idea of the donor telling you information is absolutely crucial. And this is why I do not like wealth uh, screening tools used for individuals. If you want to use it to prioritize a list of 50,000 people, sure. But if I found, if I find out that information about this donor through some creepy software research, that doesn't help me because now it's just, I know this information that they don't know that I know. So it's just weird. But if the donor tells me, I gave a $1.6 million gift to my church, I gave a $1.5 million gift to this organization I'm the board of. Not only do I know with certainty that that information is accurate, which you can't trust from these softwares, but two, 
they have entrusted me with that information. They're saying, Kevin, I am comfortable with you knowing I have this kind of capacity and I give gifts of this size. And so now that information is fair game and it allows you to very easily do things like, you know, it might, it's probably not going to happen on that first visit, but maybe a month down the road or two years down the road, who knows what exactly when it's going to happen, but it gives you the opportunity to at some point reference that comment. Hey, Bob, the first time we met, you told me about a $1.5 million gift you gave to wherever, or maybe it's a $50,000 gift. Is a gift of that size something you could ever see yourself excited to give to our organization? And just see what they say. It can, you can very comfortably, naturally, no pressure, walk into a conversation about a gift the size of, you know, five of your houses um, with it just not being a big deal. You're just referencing something they shared with you and seeing what they think about it. So I'll stop there. <laughs> That's a really powerful approach. And a, that takes the intimidation factor way down. And it sounds like it makes it more about keeping it straightforward and simple mm -hmm. and listening. Exactly. It's more of a discovery of you want to learn about the donor as opposed to pushing all your information at yes. them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the word vomit is the curse of all development officers. And I mean, we, yes. you know, we get super excited about our work and we want to tell people everything they could possibly want to know. But the fact is that they don't care. They do not care about the 17 different areas of minutia that, you know, get you excited, uh, they might care about 2% of that. And that's one of the reasons asking questions and listening is so important. Mm -hmm. Because if we do enough of that, then we can find out, you know, what is it about our, what is the 5% of information that I can share with them that would really be meaningful to them? And so, yeah, that's exactly right. Is it's, it's way more about asking questions and listening than it is about wowing people with, uh, you know, graphs and fancy cases for support. Mm -hmm. Right. And finding out which pieces of those things would really get their attention. Which pieces are they interested in? So, yeah, you can know your stuff inside and out and you should. Yes. Like you said, it doesn't mean you need to tell them every single piece. <laughs> you right. pull out the highlights based on what you're learning from them and get to know them first before you just start unloading. Right, exactly. I mean, like one of the first things that came to my mind, and this is maybe a ridiculous example, but it's like, let's say there's some sort of building project that an organization is doing. And, you know, like there could be this really cool piece of technology that somehow limits the usage of each, you know, of the water in the toilets. And it's like, you think that is the coolest thing ever because it has, you know, this environmental impact and like, okay, that like, <laughs> maybe that's super important to you, but like, maybe the donor cares about the fact that like, you know, children are going to be able to go to school in a safe environment here or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. so like what we can just get, and it seems ridiculous, but I've been in visits where people will just key in 
on these like super low level. I gotta tell, I gotta spend 10 minutes telling you about the flushing technology that like, no, like no people just people. Your presentation should probably be somewhere like three to five minutes tops and then open it up for questions. Like people will, people will key in on the areas they're interested in. We don't have to assume everything that they might want to know. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you what they want to know. And you can tell by reading them, like, are their eyes starting to glaze over? Have yeah, you yeah, lost yeah. them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do we need sure. to move on to something else? And yeah, I think being in tune to that is really important in that and making it about learning and building the relationship as opposed to the paralyzing thought of, I have to get the money. Right. Instead, just approaching it as there's a person on the other side of everything. Yes, exactly. And yeah, that's one of the biggest mistakes I made when I was getting first started was what was making it all about the money. And like, it's funny because I will say, like I did a podcast episode and a fundraising and a LinkedIn post titled fundraising is about the money because, uh, I do like fundraising is about the money. In my opinion, it's a huge, what I'm trying to combat there is this idea that fundraising is not about the money. What you said is a hundred percent true. Fundraising is not all about the money. And that's, that's where the mistake comes in. And that's, that's one of the biggest errors I made when I was first getting started was to me, the only measure of success was, do I walk out of this visit with money or do I not? And if that is your measure for success, and there were a lot of reasons that I had that perspective. Some of them were like, uh, go hit these goals so that you can have a job here. So it was like external pressure that was put on me. A way, way, way better perspective is let me help, let me serve this donor well. Like now, you know, after I made the shift, my, my measure of success was when I left that visit, did I serve that donor well? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means just sitting with somebody for an hour. You had an hour on the calendar and you thought you were going to ask them for this huge gift. And it turns out they've got a relative in the hospital and you just talk about that for an hour and you walk out of there never mentioning your organization and if that's what it meant to serve that donor well, that was a successful visit. Same thing, though, if you go into a visit, and I've had this happen before, and somebody walks into the conference room and says, I got five minutes, go. And you wind up asking them for a $10,000 gift at the end of that visit, that can be a successful visit because that's what serving them well meant. They wanted to get in there, tell me the information, make the ask, and leave. I got to go raise $500 million for my hedge fund. And like, it's, it's not, uh, you know, success does not look the same in every situation. It's, it's, did I serve this person well? And that can mean a lot of different things. I love that thought of, did I serve them well? And serving, we tend to think of, oh, yeah, we serve our clients, we serve the community, but you're also serving your donors. And I love that perspective. 
mm-hmm. of can we serve them too? Can we care about them as people? Can we yes. listen? Can we get to know them and their people, their families, their jobs, the things that are important to them? Mm-hmm. Just because that's the right thing to do, not so we can get money, but right. because it's a part of the bigger picture and of service. And I love yes. that approach. Yeah, makes it a lot more fun for all parties involved. Yes. And that just that just brings it down. That takes some of the pressure off and some of the, you know, the angst of it of just we need to get to know these people. These are great people. Yes. They have good hearts. They want to give. They want to make a difference in the community. So let's get to know that at a deeper level. Yeah. And and you know, that's kind of one of the one of the last points I'll make, maybe as we probably get close to wrapping up here, is don't don't put so much pressure on yourself and don't think you have to know how to do any of this. At the end of the day, just be super honest with your donors. That's one of the things I always recommend. It's like, don't put up any kind of front. Just tell people what is on your mind and ask people what is on your mind. So like if you're going into a visit with, you know, super wealthy, powerful, whoever, and you're all nervous, like just tell them. Like Mm -hmm. I've told people going into a visit, especially if you're new to this and like you've never really done this before. Maybe it's your first visit you're going on. I would walk into that visit and okay, maybe you're not going to be nervous, but if you're like 99.99% of humans in all time, you will be very nervous going into that visit. And I would just tell the person, Bob and Sue, I just want to let you know before we get going, I have never done this before. This is my first visit to talk about generosity. And my only goal today is to serve you well. And uh, I'm going to give it my best shot. How does that <laughs> sound to y'all? Like, And like, if you just tell people that, man, like the donors are humans too. And they will respect, unless this is just like, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge or some just heartless, totally cold person, which rarely exists, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, like sit down, like take a load off. We're, we're all on the same team here. And it's just going to, if you can just be super honest with your donors in your thoughts and in your questions, it's going to lead to just very positive experiences for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And again, that's so similar because a few episodes back, I talked about addressing red flags in your mm-hmm. grant writing. If there's a red flag, sometimes people think, oh, we need to sweep that under the rug and don't talk about it. But that's exactly what they're going to notice and be concerned about. But if you address it and say, look, we know this has been a tough time in our nonprofit. Yeah. We've had some transitions. Things are a little Um, you know, uproar right now, but here's how we're addressing it. Here's our plan to move forward. And here's what we're doing next. Boom. You've addressed the red flag so that it's not an issue. It's not a concern anymore. You've had, you know, headed it off. You're very straightforward about it and just let them know they're people too. And they understand and they, they can sympathize with that. They can see where you're coming from. And I think that helps build trust when you go in with that of just look, <laughs> I'm new at this. I'd love to get to know you. And again, like you said, I just want to serve you well. I think yes. that's a really great approach and a great stance to take. 
Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. another huge can of worms you just opened up when you mentioned the uh, the red flag kind of things. It reminded me of another gigantic like this is one of the this is costing you millions of dollars mistakes is assumptions. Mm. And so, so many times we as major gift fundraisers assume things about our donors, you know, well, you know, they've been giving us $5,000 a year for the past 10 years and they're on our board and they're on the committee and they know about what we do and they're super passionate. That's, but that's all they can give because if, if they could do more, they would. Uh, how do you know that? Like, <laughs> because you're somehow, you know, have access to all of their financial information. Like it's super easy to assume that like whoever has given us a thousand bucks a year for 20 years must be all they can do. They, they, they're, they know everything. They know what we're trying to do. They would help if they could. Not true at all. Mm -hmm. um, you got to get in front of your donors and you've got to stop a, reconsider everything. If you know something about them because someone else told you, it's not true. One of my, that's one of my rules. If you didn't hear it from the donor themselves, it's not true. Mm. Um, it happens all the time. Your board member will tell you, oh, they, they can't give anymore. They're, you know, they, they just got that whatever job they, you know, they're giving at their capacity. They don't have money. How do they know that? Do they have all of their financial information? Do they know about, you know, all the inheritances they've received, about patents that they own? Do they know about, you know, the how much money they're making from their businesses? Maybe they're, there's an endless number of reasons people could have money that you don't know about. And so if you can just get in front of your donors and start asking some of these questions, a, a really great one, if somebody's giving you a thousand dollars a year, just asking them, Hey, where does our organization currently fit in your giving priorities? Mm. And you will be amazed at what some people tell you that you thought you thought they're $50,000 a year because they're your number one donor to your organization. You thought that was their number one gift. They might give that gift to 15 different places and much larger ones to several others. You've gotten, there is no way you can know this other than sitting down with them one-on-one, -on -one, asking good questions and listening. And anybody that tells you there's another way, uh, is doing it illegally because they're spying <laughs> on the, you know, they're, they're breaking into their bank accounts or whatever. There's, there's just no other way to do it. Those are some great examples of open-ended questions to really mm. show interest and care. And sometimes, and then that allows them to volunteer what they're comfortable with and to share as much as they feel exactly. ready to. And then to take the assumptions a step further, with, I think, both our situations, grant writing and major gifts. A no doesn't necessarily mean no forever or no, we don't like you or no, this proposal was awful. Yeah. It may not mean that. It may just mean we can't do that right now or yeah. this isn't the best timing, but we'd love to see you come back or we'd love to continue the conversation or this project wasn't right, but we'd love to do something else with you instead. Yes. So again, reframing those assumptions, is that something in our own head or is that reality? And we really need to discern and look, take a hard look at those things. Right. 
Yeah. And it happens to the best of it. I mean, I do it. Oh, yeah. I do it all the time, even though I, you know, like there's things, there's opportunities that will come up for me now in, you know, business where for whatever reason, I'm just like, oh, they couldn't, they probably couldn't afford this service or whatever. And it's like, how do you know that? Like, oh, because you looked at their 990. How do you, so what? How do you, like, <laughs> you don't know what's in the bank today. You don't know who else at the organization might be able to pay for it. There's, there's a thousand different things that could make the no that we invented into a yes. But we just want to, we just want to think we're somehow the world's greatest mind readers. And, uh, you know, right. When we have one small piece of the story, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could come up with parallels all day long. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. I know we have to eventually wrap it up at some point. So what would you boil it down to? If you could say, start with one key thing, what would the first step be? Go get a visit scheduled. And I will look, this is, I'll just tell you, tell you straight right now, you're going to suck for a long time. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's just part of the process. I mean, I've been on over a thousand visits and some of the most awkward, like, oh my goodness, how did I say that? I want to go just slither out of this room and never be spoken of again happened, you know, years into doing this and coaching people on how to do it. Like you, you are going to make mistakes. Do not wait to get a visit scheduled until you think you're ready because you're never going to be ready. Just go get in front of the donor and just be honest with them. That's, that's it. Just get in front and get practice. And you're going to get over time you're going to get more confident at it, but you've just got to get the reps in and you've got to get into the habit of getting into uncomfortable situations and being okay with that. It's like grant writing. It's like building a muscle. You don't just all of a sudden have the muscles overnight. You have to stay consistent and keep yep. at it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrible, but also encouraging <laughs> to hear that advice. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I'm telling people they don't have to be uh, intimidated by it. And then I'm telling them they're going to be awful. But yeah. that's part of the, it's part of the expectation. It's like, if you I'm trying to think of a good analogy here, but it's like, if you're going to get into a car when you're learning how to drive and someone you know, if they tell you, oh, it's super easy, like you're going to have a great time, just get on the highway. It's going to be great. Like if that's your expectation, you're probably going to die. <laughs> but if somebody tells you this is going to take you a while to learn, but if you, if you follow these simple things, like you're going to be okay and you're going to, you're going to, it's going to become second nature to you. And these things, you're not actually going to have to worry about like, wait, how do I move my foot off the brake onto the gas pedal? Like it just becomes natural. And so right. the more you do it, the more of these steps, the more of these questions that used to be really intimidating to me, like, hey, what are your top philanthropic priorities? I used to be terrified to ask that question. I don't know exactly why, because it's not, a, it's not some super personal question, but it's just like new things are scary. And you, you just gotta, you just gotta get some practice and over time, 
it's going to become second nature. And, uh, and ultimately it's just going to, even if you're look, the worst visit you go on is way better for your organization and the donor than not going on the visit at all. Um, because people like to be face to face with humans and get to get to have that experience of philanthropy being more personal, even if it's not perfect, because it's never perfect. Right. I think a lot of times it just comes down to we have to get out of our own way yep. and do the thing. Yep, exactly. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, this is so practical. And I love the way you just bring it down and make it so approachable. So like, okay, I could ask that question. I mean, I'm not a major yes. gifts person, but some of these things, it's like, yeah, I could have that conversation. Yes. I could ask somebody, yeah. what drives you to do this? Yeah. Anybody can do this. There's Mm -hmm. like, you don't need to, like, I'm talking a lot right now because we're on a podcast, but I don't talk a lot when I'm on visits. I just sit there and like every five minutes, I ask a little question and then I nod my head and I'm thinking about what they're saying. You don't have to be like super social, whatever, to do major gifts well. You just need to be able to ask some simple questions, listen, care about people, let them know you care about them, and and present the opportunity. And then just because you believe in the mission, we're going to ask boldly and just let it sit there. You're not, you're not asking, like, one of the things I remind people of is, you know, I've been on over a thousand visits. I've raised millions of dollars personally. I've been coaching people for years. I've interviewed dozens of people who do major gifts on my podcast. There is only one time in all of that experience I've ever heard about someone getting angry because they were asked for too much. It was a $250,000 gift. The person went ballistic, marched into the office and started like chewing people out. And guess what they did two weeks later? They sent in a check for $250,000. So my point is, everybody's worried they're going to upset people. And it's like the one time I've ever heard it happening, the person still gave the gift. So (laughs) we just have to remind ourselves, we're not doing this because like, yes, we want to serve our donors, but we're not there to please them. We're not there to like, our role isn't to just like, I'm just going to make Bob and Sue, like, I'm just going to be their, you know, personal butler all day. No, like we're here because we care about whatever the mission is. And part of that, you know, certainly we care about the donor, but it's like when I'm asking somebody for a 50000 or $100,000 gift, the main thing that compels me to do that is because I care about these beneficiaries that we serve. And that's when you're there asking for that gift you just got to remember, you're not there for you. You are the only person. If you do not ask this person for that gift, no one else is going to do it. So you're there representing that, that person and just remind yourself of your why every day and just go out there. Yes, serve your donors, but ask boldly because those that you serve are worth it. Mm, some good stuff there. <laughs> I could go into a whole nother thread of <laughs> a lot of things there, but yeah, really you're the connection point between the donor and the opportunity to give to that cause that's meaningful to them. Yes. 
I love yes. what you said about you're you're there to serve them, not to please them. Yeah, it's one of my one of my. I don't know if you ever read the uh, the book Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. I just did. <laughs> okay, there you go. One of the things he says, you know, you, my goal as a consultant is to be respected, not liked, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, it's maybe not the exact language I would use in this instance, but the the point is the same. Is like, you know, one of the mistakes you can make working with donors is just feel like you need to, I don't know, like bend to everything they could ever want. And like, hey, if if I tell you we're, you know, I can, you know, we got to meet at 9 p.m. or whatever. It's like, look, if you're married and you got kids and you got to be home with the family, just tell people that your goal, like if you have boundaries around your work, most people will respect that. They may not like it initially, but again, your goal should be to be respected, not liked. If you're just trying to be pleasing to people, you're going to be running around like a crazy person all day and never really get anything done. So I think it's totally fine to have boundaries. Um, and you know, I'm not going to answer my phone after 6 PM or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how I got started down that tangent, but, um, there we are. (laughs) That's a good point though. Definitely true. And similar with grants, like Mm -hmm. it's good to know your priorities and your mission. So you can find funders that align with that and not try to twist out of shape to fit something. And then you spread your team's bandwidth too thin. You're getting off course from your mission and going down a path that you really didn't need to. Yes, for sure. So yeah, I got to get going here, but yeah, yeah any, uh, closing things you'd like to, to yeah no, to? <laughs> we keep finding all these extra <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no yeah this is great is there a resource in particular that has been especially meaningful to you yeah so i mean there's a few i'll i'll just give you two to keep it simple um born to raise by jerry panis is an excellent book about it's kind of a case study on the most successful major gift fundraisers and actually, I'll just leave it there. Okay. I'll keep it simple with that. Awesome. Okay. I will link to that in the notes. And then of course, tell us where can people find you online and how can they learn more about your program? Yeah, for sure. So uh, onevisitaway.com is my website. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Follow me there. Yes. Great um, stuff on there. Well, thank you. Um, and then, you know, the, if you want to get a little starter thing on my website, um, if you go to one it's now at the bottom of the page. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you can click download the guide. Um, it's just like three, three simple tips to start, you know, to start doing major gifts. Um, and the last thing, which is obviously a big lift, but I just launched my course earlier this week, Yay. Major Gift Millions. So if you awesome. want to get a super deep dive, that's just onevisitaway.com slash millions. And uh, yeah, it goes into all of it. But yeah, that's where you could find me. And uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been some great stuff here and I know it'll be useful. So thank you for your time. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Teresa, and look forward to having you on the One Visit Away podcast soon. Yeah, same.
All right, what did you think of this one? Kevin's full of great info, isn't he? I would love to hear your biggest takeaway and the thing that you're going to start implementing. This month in this fundraising series, we're all about taking action. So figure out what that needs to be for you. And if you're not sure, then maybe your next action is to go over and take my quiz, Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Grant Writer? at teresahuff.com quiz. And then I can help you figure out your next action steps towards building your career. If you're a nonprofit and you need some help building your grant readiness, then go take the grant readiness audit at teresahuff.com slash grant ready. All right, friends, I hope you have a great week and go change your world.